Hey, if you're an actor at the start of your career, or if you're an actor who hasn't started at all, no judgment. But I do want you to know that it has never been a better time to get started with Backstage. Just go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout for a 30-day free trial. That's 30 whole days you can browse through thousands of casting notices from thousands of filmmakers, producers, casting directors, all looking for talent just like you. Make a profile, upload a headshot, find out what kind of projects you want to be a part of. Backstage is where you book that very first role. It's also where you book that second role, and then that third role, and then you keep booking roles all the way up until you win that Oscar. And then you can come join me here on In the Envelope. We love a full circle moment here at Backstage. But first, you gotta subscribe. And again, that's 30 days free if you use the code word envelope at checkout. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E, envelope, 30 days free. Get those roles. And I'll see you back here when I interview you when you win an Oscar. Cannot wait. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. If I get to live to be 95 and I never get to make a movie again and people are still like, ah, oh, independent movies, whatever, I'm going to be like, what time? In 2022, there was a movie, you know, because we have to believe, like as artists, we just absolutely have to believe everything is impossible until we make it possible. Welcome to In the Envelope, the actor's podcast. I am your host, backstage senior editor, Vinny Mancuso. And today, right now, as long as you're listening to the podcast on the day it drops, uh, March 2nd, 2023, we are here to celebrate that final voting has officially begun for the 95th Annual Academy Awards. Now, that is very significant news to today's guest. Joining us today is the wonderful Stephanie Hsu. As you probably know, Stephanie scored a Best Supporting Actress nod for the dual roles of Joy Wong and Jobu Tupaki in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, just one of the historic 11 nominations that that movie got. And if you want a behind-the-scenes look at the glamorous Oscar trail from an actor who is definitely not letting it go to her head, uh, this is the episode for you. It's truly a delight to listen to uh, Stephanie speak on uh, what an Oscar nomination means uh, for her, of course, but also for Hollywood and the AAPI community as a whole. Uh, and this is all coming from someone who really took the road less traveled to get to the Oscars night uh, from doing experimental theater in New York, uh, originating Broadway roles in Be More Chill and the SpongeBob musical, uh, and then back to the West Coast, where the Daniels, the directing duo known as Daniels, told Stephanie they had this pretty out there idea for a multiverse epic at A24. Um, it's all been a very wild ride for Stephanie, and we had a blast talking about it beginning to end. 
Let's get right into it. Here is Stephanie Shu. Thank you again so much for being here. Uh, sorry for putting you through the technical boot camp. No, thank you for putting me through technical boot camp. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like I learned something new about Zoom every time I do one of these. Yeah, um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good this morning. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I, I I think we should probably start by saying uh, congratulations. Uh, you are an Oscar nominee. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. How's uh? It is pretty cool. How's it been? Well, it's pretty surreal, definitely, and um, I don't think it has completely sunk in yet. It sort of hits me in waves, and I mean, part of it is because I think you know we filmed everything everywhere with just so many friends, and it's kind of wild to be able to go on this journey with people I love and know so well, and so it makes me feel really supported and and less alone. It feels actually like like a big party in some ways that uh, goes on for a long time. And Steven Spielberg just happens to be there. <laughs> um, Amazing. Yeah, but it's it's been really special. And, you know, the nominations only came out like a week or so ago or maybe two weeks ago. So it's just kind of wild. It's impossible to wrap your ha- head around. So, um, yeah, but it, it's it feels very special for sure. Yeah, I mean, you you are. I mean, this, this movie is in a unique position of uh, you know you have the most nominations with the eleven nominations, so you are kind of doing this. Not everybody gets to do this as a cast. You know, it's 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 almost like you're in the position of you made this movie a while ago now, but now you're just continuously coming back together, and you don't usually get that with a lot of movies. Totally, it's very synchronistic in a lot of ways. We filmed in March 2020, or we filmed and we wrapped March 2020 when mm. everything shut down for the pandemic. Our movie premiered at South by in March 2022, and now the Oscars are going to be in March 2023. And so it feels like a very full circle bagel, if you will. Um, <laughs> and it like things worked out. Yeah, and everyone's nomination is their first nomination, so mm-hmm. it's we're really kind of going through it and experiencing it together. Absolutely, I, th- I think it was three days ago was the was the Oscars luncheon. Yeah. Um, what was the you know what did you see when you walked into that room? What was kind of the, the first thing you zeroed in on when you walked into the Oscars luncheon? Well, I could feel that Tom Cruise was there. I didn't get to see him because there <laughs> yeah. was a, a hive of people around him. Um, but you know, you could definitely feel the the presence of Tom Cruise in the in yeah. the room. But it really felt. I mean, I I felt so happy because they they do the Academy does the seating arrangements, mm-hmm. and they sat me next to Ryan Johnson and Ron Bergman, who I've worked with before. So mm-hmm. I felt really relieved that I was sitting next to also more friends that I have it's made like that, along the way. That feeling of seeing your friend at the party and being like, oh, okay, yeah. I have someone to talk to. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, and, it, you know, I will say that this whole year, I mean, I feel like people feel this for Broadway too, you mm-hmm. know, when you kind of reach the, what seems to be the top echelon of one medium, when you're not in it, it can feel so far away and sparkly and elusive. But what I've learned and I feel like I learned this in Broadway as well, is really all of this is just com- composed of people, right? Mm-hmm. People who are really passionate of what about what they do, who have had the good fortune of having success for one moment, you know what I mean? And so it, it, it sort of takes the 
prestige away from it in a way that I think is really healthy, where every time I walk into those spaces, what I really feel is astonished by how many people love doing what we do and commit so much of their time and their life to this art form. Mm -hmm. I do. I do love any, any chance to learn of the, you know, just humanizing this thing. Cause I, what other people see is, is, you know, what we're quote unquote allowed to see because it is the, it's, but once you're in that room, I do want to ask the logistics of taking that class photo, because I don't think there's, there, there can't be a more humanizing thing than, than putting the biggest stars in Hollywood in place. Uh, like it's middle school. I, I just, I would love to hear about that. Oh man, it was actually really funny because <laughs> when, well, first of all, I was so excited because they, um, they stood me next to Brian Tyree Henry, who mm -hmm. I love his work. And we really, we met during this award cycle and mm -hmm. have become new pals through it. And so it felt really exciting. Like, ah, we get to stand together. <laughs> and then it was so funny because we, we stood in the back tier and, you know, growing up when I took class photos, I always stood, it was always my height. And so I always stood in the front and was like last to be called because I'm the shortest one in the room. So this time it was different. I stood in the back and it was so funny because the moment the second tier of people got called up, I could feel this like slow concern from not only the people around me, but from everyone in the audience who loves me because this man stood in front of me and he was so tall and I could feel everyone go, oh no, like that man is blocking Stephanie's face. And Brian and I were joking about, he he was like, don't worry, I was a cheerleader and I was a bottom and I can, I, I do lifts really well. Like we're just gonna hold you to my hip and we're gonna do a quick like whoop <laughs> and hoist you up. And Sarah Polly was actually standing in the back as well. And she looked over and she was like, Stephanie, what if they don't see us? And I was like, I don't know. Um, find a window, find a window. <laughs> but uh, luckily the photo was taken from an aerial point of view. But it, it's pretty funny. If you look at the back row, everyone looks pretty like a normal height. It's like, you know, just kind of one fell swoop of a line. And then it suddenly dips really quickly. And yeah. that's me. I love that. Yeah, I did the I did the Where's Waldo. I I found you. And you are you are in the photo. It's it's it's, just, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that they get everybody in there and you can see it. It is a miracle, and it also looks like my head is attached to the head above me. It's like a, a double head monster. Absolutely. Um, I love that. That is that is the exact uh, when I said humanizing the experience. I think that, that did a yeah. fantastic job. Um, you you I saw something that you wrote recently. I think it was when on nominations day uh, that you wrote on, on Instagram uh, that I actually, I found really profound, which was uh, you wrote that I'm, I'm, I'm learning to let myself be seen. Mm. Um, and I'm curious, you know, that's, that's kind of, I, I talked to a lot of actors obviously. And something that I, I see as a through line is, is something like that where it's, it's the, the idea of being seen is new, even though your profession is being on screen, being on stage. So I'm curious, you know, how you see, that divide, um, you know, letting yourself be seen in, in performance versus letting you, Stephanie, be seen and how that's changed yeah. for you. Well, you know, in 2019, I was doing Be More Chill and mm -hmm. on Broadway and filming Maisel season three. For the first time I was, I was joining that series, I was filming and doing eight shows a week at the same time. And I think that was the first year that I really let myself acknowledge that I was actually an actor. Mm -hmm. um, 
I had been working really steadily up until that point, but I think even specifically for Broadway, I always had this very real feeling of imposter syndrome where I was like, I feel like I snuck in through the back door. How did I get here? I never, this was never my path. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm here in the historical walls of Broadway. Um, and I feel like the thing that I am really grateful for is that every opportunity has invited me to step in and stand tall as or as tall as I can um, and and show up and let myself not only to let myself be loved by fans or a community of people around me who are rooting for me. And I feel like with everything everywhere, you know, the thing that I the thing that was so vulnerable was right before it came out was, you know, I really gave this one my all. Like I have so much more, I always gave it my all, but this one holds so much of my weirdness, my avant-garde art brain. This role was able to hold space for that avant-garde experimental, but also so much heart and so much of my kind of subliminal philosophy of what I hope art can do, which is to really provide a space for healing and feeling for audiences. And so I was scared, you know, I was like, if this doesn't work, oh my goodness, I'm really going to have to recalibrate for a second. Or if they hate it, then they're going to really hate what I'm about. And I was fortunate in the fact that people have responded really beautifully to it. And that has felt really vulnerable, actually, perhaps even more vulnerable if people hated it because it's said to me, oh, you you have something to give. You have something to show that is resonating with people. So you have to keep going, you know. Um, and it's, you know, I, I think one thing I've been, that's been really um, helpful for me is Hollywood, all the glitz and glamour. It's, a lot of it is you know, you you rise to the occasion, but when I step outside of my house, I'm not wearing like a gown with like adorned with adorned with diamonds and like that's not what I look like every day. But you just kind of rise to the occasion, and and it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to take anything from you if that makes any sense. But the reality is, is that I recognize that in this moment, what what I represent, what my character represents, so many people are looking to it as a beacon of possibility or just it makes them feel seen. So shying away from that is not serving myself or other people who are waiting for roles like this to exist. Mm-hmm. Has that, that 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 shift in in the way you see things? You know, you, you you mentioned that you had that bit of imposter syndrome and that sort of like, oh, I keep, you know, how does the how do I keep do making these leaps? Has there been a shift in how you feel responsibility? Because you, because now you're taking on the fact that that this isn't an accident. That these yeah. things that these things are resonating. That you are resonating, and that's because of the work and the talent. Is there has there been a shift in oh? I, I'm responsible for, for all of these truths. I feel like that's the one thing that maybe hasn't changed because ever since I was coming up in New York, for me, I was taught that anytime you have a voice, you have to use it for a good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that the art has to be wholesome, but you have to really know why the story is being told. And so for me, all along the way, especially because I was oftentimes 
one of so few people who look like me who got in through the door. <laughs> I always felt like every every opportunity is an opportunity to bring 10 other people alongside me. And that's just always been how it is for me. I sometimes wish I could just quote unquote have fun, but <laughs> but that's just not what I'm about. I mean, I have so much fun being able to hold space for more people, but yeah, I think that that ironically enough is the one thing that hasn't changed, right? Like mm-hmm. I will continue always to carry the responsibility and the beautiful chance to get to bring other people into the fold. Um, it's my, I'm very humbled that I get to be one of the people who does that. I love that. And, and I think that's a great, a great point to sort of think, because that's, that's, that journey is, is, has been consistent. So I do want to go back to the, to the beginning and then ask if you have a sort of any, you know, origin story or something, a moment or a performance or something where you, where you said, oh, that's, that's acting. That's, that, that, that's something I would, I would like to do that myself. Yeah, I remember being really young and maybe in the second grade, I was we we were in the multi-purpose room and we had to do a pretend uh, lemonade ad and I was selected in the class to get up in front of everybody, hold an empty carton of lemonade and read off of a piece of cardboard that was basically like, buy your lemonade here for 50 cents, you know? And that was, that was it. That's all I had to do. And I remember thinking in that moment, um, wow, that was really fun. And I think I might be kind of good at it, but I should probably think of something more practical to do with my life. I had all those three thoughts at the age of like, I don't know, 10 <laughs> sequentially. And I, I do think, you know, at that time we were just not talking about a lot of things that we're talking about in terms of identity, visibility. We weren't talking about that then. I think that subliminally, I just knew I don't see myself. Like there's no path forward for me there. I'm in like a suburban town. I'm in a public school system. I'm not in an art school. How do you go from here to there? There's no way. Um, I didn't come from an arts family. So I tried to avoid it for a long time, but I always say that so much of my career has been so many people who opened doors for me that I didn't know existed. And that includes classmates being like, you should audition for drama or an upperclassman saying, hey, I think you should think about studying this in college and and getting to college. And it just kept going and going and going. Again, Tina Landau calling me one day, do you want to come to Broadway? It's It's always been kind of like that, which I feel really grateful for because even when I was living in New York and had just finished school, I was working in downtown theater. I didn't have an agent. I didn't particularly want or feel like I needed an agent because I felt, even in those early days, I felt quote unquote successful. I felt full, right? I felt very enriched. I was making ends meet by working a bunch of different odd jobs, but I was also then going to the Black Box Theater at night and making art with my friends. And Mm -hmm. to me, that felt, that was it. I was like, this is great. This is this feels enriching. This feels like I've made it, you know? And I like to think of, I think that's what has made more and more visible success capable of being grounding for me because to me, it's never a ladder. It, it really is just you keep walking or you dig in deeper, but you're never trying to climb because the moment you're trying to climb, 
you're starting to chase something that's an idea as opposed to the quality of work and the quality of the relationships you have with your collaborators. That's really wonderful. I um I do want to talk a little bit about your time in in New York because you know you you made that move to go to from California to New York. So I just just to start I guess what how do you think that that significant change that significant move from the the West Coast to East Coast sort of influenced what you wanted when you got to New York and and, and how you came to New York just that starting with that big change which is the move across the country. I have always loved New York. You're in New York right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. I just, you know, New York is so trash sometimes. And Absolutely. it's like, <laughs> I always say like, my experience of New York has always been, you know, you step outside and all of a sudden there's someone singing on the street and you've never heard something so beautiful in your life. You believe in humanity immensely. Everything feels possible. And then all of a sudden a rat just Absolutely. climbs onto your foot and pees on it. And then then while that happens, a taxi cab almost hits you in the street and like shouts some crazy expletive and you get the whole span and spectrum of the beauty and mess of life in the span of like a minute. Everything um. is possible. Everything is possible. It doesn't mean everything is good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, I, I had the good fortune of visiting New York when I was in, I think maybe early high school on a drama school trip. And I just fell in love with it. I, I was like, public transportation makes so much sense to me. I love it. Um, and I'm so proud, honestly. I spent 11 years in New York. I've been thinking about that a lot because, you know, now I'm out West, but I'm so proud of the artist and the person that New York cultivated me to be because it is so, you have to work so hard and, but it's not an industry town to me, at least now that I'm, you know, it's not an industry town the way Hollywood is, right? Yeah. Or the way Los Angeles is. You really can walk into a bar and hear the best band you've ever heard in your life. And you're like, who, who is that? Um, everyone can be someone, even if they're not someone, right? Um, and I love that. I, I, I carry that with me and I, I miss it very often. I think Biggie, the notorious B.I.G. said in one of his songs, if you spend too much time in New York, it'll make you too hard. If you spend too much time in L.A., it'll make you too soft. I think, you know? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've done time in both. I have been on the, on the West Coast. I've mostly been on the East Coast. And I think that that is a. Uh... A very true, very true way to, to sum it up. But um, where in New York do you live? I actually live now. I live in uh, Jersey City, so I don't. I live okay. right across the pond. But I used to work. I used to work right, right in the center of it. Uh, in the right in the center of Manhattan. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I have, I have the New York stories of you know, it's, it's you, you can look up and be like, wow, why would anyone want to live anywhere else? And then you look down yeah. and you're like, oh, that's that, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Why people don't want to live here. It's, oh, that's. Fecal matter, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was the full, the full spectrum, absolutely. Um, but you were you were um, in the experimental theater wing of, of NYU. I, I'm curious when you first noticed the pull towards the more experimental side of things, the more you know, the more abstract, the more you know, less mainstream type of art. Pretty much the moment I went to New York, I studied at Tisch. I started at the Atlantic Theater Company, which was David Mamet's company, and then um, transferred to Experimental Theater Wing, which was the transfer program is kind of common there. But 
the first day of NYU, they do this show called The Reality Show. And it's a kind of a comedy musical devised by the student body. And it's about college life. And it's meant to act as a resource for um, just going to college for the first time in New York, which is such a different experience than a campus, how to, where to reach out if you're having any type of problems or feeling lonely or confused. The first day of orientation, that show was performed and they were doing like condom songs and, you know, doing crazy, just wild, wild, experimental, but pretty uh, accessible um, theater. And I saw it and I was like, I have to do that. I want to do that. And the woman who directed it at the time was Elizabeth Suedos. Mm -hmm. So um, she, who's now passed, but I met her immediate, basically the summer after my freshman year, I auditioned for that show. I got in and she became my mentor and I stuck with her all the way to the end. And um, she kind of just threw me into the downtown theater. I mean, a lot of it was just because I, Broadway just felt so far. It felt so far financially. Like I couldn't even afford a ticket really. Mm -hmm. I wish I took advantage of more of those sort of like free tickets that happen when you're in school, but uptown just felt so far or midtown felt so far away. And I was living downtown. And so La Mama and Dixon Place and all these theaters just were literally proximately closer to me. And those were my teachers. So that was kind of immediately the community I was brought into. And to be honest, I think I also felt more at home there because it was a quite international community, people mm -hmm. coming from Asia and Europe to come to New York and devise their puppet show and or do like Bertolt Brecht, you know? Um, so I think I just felt like I didn't have to fit into any stereotypes there. I felt like I could really make any art that I wanted to make. Uh -huh. Is there any sort of anything from your formal training or that time that has sort of most stuck with you as you, you know, continue to take on roles, mm -hmm. as you continue to sort of create characters, as you continue to read scripts? Is there anything from that time that's you're like, oh, this, this became a core part of my, you know, quote unquote process? Yeah. So when I was studying at the Experimental Theater Wing, we worked on a method of acting um, or a method of exploration that based on Grotowski. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know much about Grotowski's life period, but um, <laughs> but it's a type of like gestural exploration. So you could take the idea of a character and let's say, let's say I'm playing Snow White. And so I think about Snow White and I think about the apple. And so I hold out my palm like I'm catching or like I'm picking an apple from a tree. And you kind of do that gesture over and over again until it starts to become something else. Mm -hmm. And it, that is like, and that gesture can suddenly become how you sit or how you walk, or maybe that's just a thing your hand does all the time. Like maybe that's how Snow White gesticulates. Um, and that form, and that can inform your, the way your mode of speech, where your pitch is. That is something that I'm a very physical person and a physical actor. And that method of exploration to me is something that is still so very helpful um, because I do think, especially when you're working a lot, every 
it's just such an easy way to immediately get into the shoes of another character and create specificity for new characters. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the Kurtovsky method. I love that. Everybody write that down if you, if you <laughs> haven't. Um, you moved back to LA pretty in sync with everything everywhere. It was it was not that 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 long before, not that long after. Um, so I you know I'm curious just to just to start with the move back. How that again changed you? Was there was there similar feelings? Was there you know I, I, you had I, I'm assuming you know you felt like a different person at that point. It was 11 years in New York, but I'm wondering what the overlap was with the how you felt about you know after all that coming back to the West Coast. So I met the Daniels at the end of 2019 after wrapping Be More Chill, after wrapping Maisel. I met the Daniels, our directors, um, on an episode of Nora from Queens, mm -hmm. um, and we had so much fun. I truly just followed them out to LA. I, I didn't know the movie was going to happen. I knew nothing. I just said, I, I'm ready to work and meet new young creatives who are making wild and weird things. And I'm realizing I had been in New York for so long and I knew most of the community there. I realized there was a whole other breadth of community that I, that I didn't know and breadth of makers I didn't know. So I followed them out to LA, was staying at my friend's place. And within a week of me being there, they called me and they said, hey, we're working on this movie and we think you'd be really great for it. No pressure. And I knew nothing about A24, didn't know Michelle Yeoh was attached. I was like, sure, I'll do your home video. You know what I mean? I just <laughs> yeah. I was like, sounds fun. you guys do sounds fun. Um, whatever you guys do, I'm here for it. Cause I just so believed in them as artists. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I booked the movie, I basically then that was in 2019, I, I basically started the that bi-coastal life. I I still had a place in New York because I was filming Maisel still and and then I had a place in LA. And then the pandemic happened. So I ended up leaving New York officially. I also left LA for a bit. I actually don't live in LA anymore, but yeah, LA is hard for me and I have learned to love it, but I don't live there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hard for me because I think, I think it's hard for me because I don't, I, I love walking. I feel like there's so much inspiration that comes from just being able to walk or be in public transportation together. There's just something that equalizes everyone immediately when you're stuck on the Q train over the bridge and it's stinky and it's hot and the baby's crying. Like you're all there together, you know, and it's not always great, but there's a sense of togetherness. And if something happens, someone's going to say something. Um, and LA, I think just because maybe I was new or maybe because I was coming from New York, that transition is really hard. And I feel like finding community again is very hard. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a very lonely city. New York can too, but it's lonely in a different way. So I'm very lucky that I, um, and I think a lot of people now, no matter where they are in their career, because of the pandemic and because of Zoom, I think it people are moving away from just needing to be in New York and LA. And I really, I don't know, I, I really um, promote that. I'm like, be where you feel full, you know? Absolutely. When you, you know, when you start reading the script for everything, I, 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 when I, when I think about this movie, like that kind of, you know, the miracle of it is that it is about endlessness. It's about, you know, but it's, it, it also somehow feels so specific to so many experiences. You know, so many different people are seeing themselves in this movie, which is about 
so much. So I'm curious about, you know, once you found out what the movie was about and, you know, you're, you're preparing for it, the impression you got of it, you know, what you were, what you were expecting it to be, what you were latching onto, you know, you're, you're sort of your first reaction to knowing the pitch in full. Well, I always say that I, I'm embarrassed because when I, people are always like, what do you, what did you think when you read the script? And wasn't it crazy? And I was like, honestly, I don't know how, what this says about how weird I am, but it made a lot of sense. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> I think the first thing that I thought, honestly, having gone to acting school, you know, coming up doing Chekhov, but then also doing comedy, like sketch comedy at UCB and then doing experimental theater, you know, I... So much of what I was seeing in mainstream media at that time, there was nothing that could hold what I knew I was capable of, right? Or would challenge me the way that I knew I was capable of being challenged. Mm -hmm. And when I read Everything Everywhere and I saw the character of Joy and Jobu, I was like, I can do that. I know I can do that. I have the breadth of training and vision to bring that character to life. And it made me so excited to get to potentially, you know, create this character that was as small and unassuming and almost could disappear in a moment as joy to then transform into this omniscient, nihilistic, chaos creating villain. Um, I think I just, I, I really wanted it. And I rarely, I mean, it's not that I rarely really want it, but I, I just, I was like, I want to work this hard to, to make this happen. No matter what you look like, it's just rare for those types of roles to come, come through. We, um, we had your co-star, on, on this podcast not that long ago. And he, he said something very similar. He, he, he read the, he has, you know, everyone has their experience, but his, his was very specifically, he read this and he's like, I, I can't explain it, but I just wanted this so bad. You know, like it's it's not yeah. even like wanting it. It's not even like wanting a job so bad. It's I this this something like this does not come along very often. Echo Key's wife and mm-hmm. also our translator, after our first table read, she said this she's she's kind of our our lucky cricket, mm-hmm. I like to say. Um, but she said, you know, this script has a very strong soul and it is it has attracted like-minded souls to tell its story. I love that. And you're just like, yes. I was like, that's it. I know it's weird, but I, that's it. Like yeah. it really is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I want to ask you about um, a very specific uh, moment from the movie, a, very, a specific shot, because it's 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 I, it's you and it's Michelle Young as, as Evelyn in a car where a, a serious conversation has clearly just taken place. It's it, I think it's it's very quick. It's only shown like twice or three times, I think. Um, but in a movie where so much is going on, I love that they they show that twice and you kind of get everything you need just from from seeing it. So I am curious about mm-hmm. shooting that um, and shooting anything like that where, you know, the performance is this shot will be three seconds long, but you get a lifetime of, of just from seeing it. So I, I, I want to ask about that specifically. I love that this movie has been out for a year and there are still new questions coming my way. <laughs> and I like love when people pick up on those little things because every shot truly was so intentional that mm-hmm. there is so much to unpack outside of the the big, big scenes. And mm-hmm. that scene that you're bringing up is actually really important dramaturgically in the story. It's, um, I mean, we shot it for maybe like an hour, you know, mm-hmm. but 
for us, uh, as with the Daniels and me and Michelle, that was the the moment that Joy is coming out to her mom. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the conversation that's happening in that car. So it's yeah, it is a very important scene, and I'm really glad that you that it that it brought um, that it caught your eye. And I think that's the beauty of the Daniels, right? I really mean it when I say the story does make sense because every single moment, even if it's weird or if it's wild, was done with a lot of clarity and intention behind the filmmakers and also the cast. I think that's why the movie is so weird in that you're like, what's going on? And yet you're, if it works for you, you're, you find yourself still very curious and invested. You want to know more. You want to know where where that one vignette leads to. And that's intentional, right? Because it could just be a chaotic mess with no through line whatsoever, but we're trying to hold your hand through in some ways. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you approach that from a, from a performance standpoint where, you know, you're between wardrobe and makeup and you, you're getting so much material, trusting that it will be cobbled together in, a, in an emotionally satisfying way. So from a performance standpoint, what are you bringing to each of these individual moments and making sure that the audience is getting what they get what they need to from a quick glance into like a, a world that they'll see for you know two seconds I think the key is trying to be as specific as possible quickly mm-hmm. um in those vignettes right and you know the movie was it's it wasn't easy to make for sure I mean mm-hmm. my binder I drew a whole map I broke down every single scene I tracked when joy became jobu and then became joy again and we created shorthands for creating that texture of when jobu is not only jobu but also joy you know like we really had a lot of conversations about the bedrock of the film and so as an actor i often say you're not only a portal and a vessel but you're also a protector of the story and you have to kind of keep your know the character so well and be open to continue to learn about the character as you go, especially in filmmaking when you're shooting non-sequentially. I feel like every moment that you're on set, you're collecting new clues about the fabric of the tapestry that you're weaving together. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have to also be clear as to where you are in the story. And so in those moments when things were, anytime I had a question or if I wasn't sure, I could just phone it in and it probably would have been fine, but I would immediately go to the Daniels and just say like, can we clarify when is this happening and at what point in the journey is this happening? Mm -hmm. And if we all didn't know, then we would make a decision together. That's the thing about film specifically, I think. I don't know. I think that's the difference between making something good and great Mm -hmm. is when everybody really knows what they're making it just pushes something over the edge just that much where you as an audience member then feel protected in a in a different way. There is the, there's so much discussion, you know, between what's what's the difference between a good movie and a great movie. And I think with something like this, um, you touched on a bit where even if in a single moment you don't understand it, you don't need to because you're you you are feeling the right thing. Because the movie is 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 making you feel the way it's sort of you don't need to understand what's happening in the moment to, to sort of be like, well, man, it's it's affecting me. And I think that, that totally. this movie this movie hits hits that note larger than a, than any movie has in a long time. Totally. I mean, I I feel so proud to be a part of it because not only for for what this movie means for the industry, 
You know, I feel like I remember someone telling me after they saw the final cut, someone in the industry was like, this movie's never going to do well in the box offices, but you're probably right that directors you might want to work with will maybe see this movie. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know anything about box offices. I just got here. But I'm hearing that you don't believe that something like this could possibly ever work. And I just, I've been saying that when, if I get to live to be 95 and I never get to make a movie again and people are still like, ah, oh, independent movies, whatever, I'm going to be like that person in the room, like, one time, like <laughs> in 2022, there was a movie, you know, because it, we have to believe, like as artists, we just absolutely have to believe everything is impossible until we make it possible. And if we as an industry or worse off as makers become convinced that they'll never let us do X, Y, and Z, then we are shooting ourselves in the foot, you know? And mm -hmm. the thing I love about the Daniels is that they truly, they say, who cares? We're gonna do it anyway because we we have a vision. We see something, we're, we're, we're imagining something. And I really do, I have fallen in love with movies so deeply and perhaps it's from my theater background too. I just, I believe that we need spaces to watch things together, to feel, less alone and to help us process what continues to be a very confusing time to be alive. And if those spaces die out, then we're going to be in trouble. Like we need moments of unification, even if it's just to sit in a dark room for two hours and listen to a story. We really need that. So I feel like, you know, this movie also is so exciting because it is nonlinear in so many ways. And there are many ways to tell a story that I hope that we can continue to dream up and challenge ourselves to to do. Absolutely. Do you remember your your last, you know, shot on set? You know, your last your last day on set of everything everyone. You know, what was what was your rap moment? Oh my gosh. That day was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because it was the Friday that everything shut down. I was gonna down. say it was right before the shutdown, right? Yeah. It was like right on, basically. <laughs> yeah. So Monday, Monday of that week, it was meant it was meant to be our last week anyhow. But Monday of that week, New York was getting this like something's happening, and mm -hmm. LA was like, ah, oh, that's probably not real. Yeah. Wednesday, Tom Hanks was like, I have COVID. All of Hollywood was like, it's real, it's real. You know, like uh, that was the day that you know the toilet papers disappeared from the shelves. Um, yeah. And then that Friday, we didn't even know we had an overnight shoot. So we started late at night. It was going to be our last day. And we we couldn't even hug each other. We couldn't. We were also scared to touch each other, but we just wanted to finish the movie. And there is a like a water tank, like a water filtration tank. It like exploded <laughs> on set. Like it was crazy. And my and that was the the Waymond and Evelyn in the back alleyway seat. And my last shot, I think all I did was I I hold, I'm in one of the Jovu costumes and I hold Michelle's head, Evelyn's head in front of what seems like a moving train. Mm -hmm. And that was the last thing I shot. And it was <laughs> completely uh, not satisfying. Like it was really crazy to go from making this thing that we had all been working so hard on. And then we were just like, 
oh God, we hope we get to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stayed the whole night just to be with everybody until we finished. And we wrapped at 6 a.m. that Saturday in a parking lot, popped some champagne, and then didn't see each other for mm, almost a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Does that make it feel a little bit, you know, it, it, it just adds to the fact that you're now doing all of this as a cast. You are, you're, it's the, the Oscar season is kind of just, again, just repeatedly bringing you all back together. It's beautiful. It really is. I mean, sometimes I'll look at pictures of us from March of 2022 just to our premiere at South by and just to like kind of capture. I just wanted to, I mean, we look, we all look so different. We look like babies, I know, all of us. Just little bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, what's going to happen? Oh, my gosh, it's so good to each other. Like, our little movie, can you believe it? And it's so, there's so much love between all of us, truly, within the cast, main cast, and within the extended cast and crew. And I feel really, it's very rare that you can be working on a movie for this long and you will still actively try to hang out with each other outside of the already planned events that you have to go to together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's important, you know, I think it's so important to feel supported by the people and to support the people that you work alongside because even when the movie's done, when you're doing press, it's a lot of hard work and it is rare, very tiring because you're trying to give so many people your energy and just your heart, right? And with this movie, it's affected so many people and people share a lot of how this movie has impacted them, but that's very emotional and you wanna be, you wanna have your spring full, right? And your your water clean from your, your spring source. So, you know, to have people around you who can say like, hey, do you need water? Or just give you a hug or say, good job. That's, that's important. Absolutely. Well. I see that we're sort of winding down here. I again, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Um, before I let you go, we do have this thing we do with some of our guests, which is called the Backstage Five. Uh, it's five quick questions, rapid fire, whatever pops into your head first uh, will be your answer. Does that sound okay. good? Uh, question number one: What performance should every actor see, and why? <laughs> You're like rapid fire. Like, here's you know, an essay. I say that every time, but it, there's no way any of these questions can be rapid fire. Um, so don't worry about that part of it. I think watching Robin Williams's body of work is pretty extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just, I've been wanting to rewatch Dead Poet Society recently because I just love that movie so much. And his performance in it is incredible. Everyone's performance in it is incredible. And Flubber is one of my favorite movies of all time. So. <laughs> I definitely saw it. Definitely saw it in theaters. Um, seven times. I saw it seven times in theaters. <laughs> Incredible. Question number two, with all the roles that you played, what role shaped you the most as an actor? I think it was a tie. <laughs> no. Okay. No, I'll say I think it, it really was um, doing Christine Canigula and Be More Chill while filming May Lynn in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, toggling between those two for that year really asked me to step up into my chops. Mm-hmm. Um, question number three, what do the best directors you've worked with have in common? They believe in their actors. They are true collaborators. They want to know what you bring to the table and they 
they they work with you. They actually like get in on the ground with you. They don't they don't just say stay there and talk there. They want to know what magic you bring to the table as well. Love that. Uh, question number four: What is your worst audition story? <laughs> um, God. <laughs> I think when I was the one that's coming to. I mean, I'm I'm sure I've had auditions where I just did a bad job, but the the one that comes to mind is when I was asked to put on an accent and I just was like, I'm so sorry, but I, I don't do that. And I was really upset. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is, that sounds like the worst. Uh, <laughs> uh, and question number five, what's one mistake you've made in your career that you promise yourself you will never make again? I like that question. I think I, I, I think I pretended that I didn't love what I do because I was so scared to lose it or that it didn't feel real or it felt too good to be true or something. But I wish I allowed myself to truly fall in love with storytelling earlier and not to doubt its validity. I never doubted it for other people, but I really doubted it for myself. And now I feel like I'm playing catch up. I feel like I'm in grad school right now where I'm voraciously watching and reading and just digging in so deep because I feel for the first time maybe true permission to really do this but realizing I had permission all along right like I no one was ever going to take it away from me and so I, I just wish I allowed my heart to open up to it unabashedly sooner amazing I think that is a wonderful way to wrap this up um Stephanie thank you so much for being here uh, and congratulations so again. Uh, we, Thank you. The movie is incredible. Uh, the role is incredible. The performance is incredible. And we, everyone here can't wait to see what's next. Thank you. And thank you for all that y'all do. I mean, backstage was, I was, I was in, I was reading the trades. I was looking for the <laughs> open calls. That was the first thing I did when I moved to New York. Uh, so we love um, to hear it. It's awesome. We do our best. Uh, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.